0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a different perspective today. We're hopping across the pond to hear from one of my new favorite design firms, from London. This is the mother and daughter team, Sarah and Rosie Ward, from the Chelsea London design firm, Ward & Company. You will notice a few things about the following conversation. Strong design is universal. Good design relies on talent, skill, and a willingness to divorce oneself from their own personal style in favor of understanding what lies at the center of a client's desires. Sarah and Rosie do that and it's evident in their work. It's also fun to have a conversation that spans international boundaries because while as humans, we have similarities in needs and desires, the differences geographically they're, they're significant. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sarah and Rosie of Warden Company. We'll get to it right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the US dating back to 1958 Thermosol, a US brand, a US manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory Who else does that? nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me, and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option, It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. One of the things that I find so fun about doing this now, especially after doing this for 10 years, but prior to the pandemic, the majority of the internet, uh, the interviews that I did were were in Southern California or surrounding states. Um, I did them, almost all of them were in person. And I love that. I really do. I, now we're back to it, and I do a lot more. But since the pandemic, I've had the opportunity to sort of expand into other states and into other countries. I, I love that we have an opportunity to chat here, and I will I will do a, a, a preamble, a primer, if you will, uh, prior to this. So everybody who's listening, will you do me a favor though? Will you introduce yourselves and a little bit about the firm?
1: Yeah, so with' um, Sarah and Rosie, um, Sarah and Rosie Ward from Ward & Co, and we're based in Michelin House, which is a lovely building, the Bendham building, right in the centre of London, and um, we have a team behind us of about eight, and we've done interior design for many, many years now, um, over 30 years, I stopped counting, and uh, Rosie's been um, joined the company 10 years ago. That's our background, we work on a lot of uh, new build projects, residential and refurbishment residential because you have a lot of Grade one, two listed buildings, particularly in the UK, and latterly um, in the Caribbean, uh, mainly in Antigua, but on other islands as well.
0: So Rosie, quick question for you. How, okay, so as a kid growing up, watching your mother design, mm-hmm. there's either two ways to go, right? Either either the the child completely recoils and wants nothing to do with the family business or dives in both feet. Clearly you went the latter. How and why and when did you know?
2: Uh, well, there's a quite long story to it, to be fair. Um I I always used to go and help mom and you know on school holidays and things like that. Um, but I actually went to study television production. And I went into TV and worked in TV for about, say, three years or so. Um, and I was freelance and earning, I mean, absolutely nothing. Uh, so I'd have a week off and I'd yeah, jump to mum and say, can you give me some money, please? <laughs> uh, come work for you for a week. And so I was kind of in between jobs. <laughs> I did a bit of that. Um, and then I just realised more and more how much more creative it was than what I was doing. Um, and... Kind of did probably what came five, four, five, six times and just kept coming back. And then one day I just never left, to be honest. Um, and here we are, 10 years later, basically. Um, but originally I've never thought about it, never thought about it. You you actually said don't go into interior design.
1: I can't, she can't work I out. I right. I did say that. I also, um, when she stayed for the time where it's four weeks, I made her ask to stay. I didn't say would you like to because <laughs> I didn't want to be that person.
2: I was earning a lot more money being freelance than I was if I was a full-time employee.
1: I overpaid you. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) massively.
0: That's funny. Okay. So what's, okay. So it's been really, it's been in earnest about 10 years that you've been working together. So what's, what's the dynamic? What is the, what is the yin and yang? The strength versus weakness. Don't call it a weakness, you know, call it an opportunity. Um, Do do one of you sort of lead in one area and the other in others?
1: I think what's happened over the um, period, which is very plain to see now, is that work at the beginning, I sort of led most things, if not everything. And over the years, Rosie's definitely leading now. So my role now is, is easier than her role. I have to... I, I tend to try to pull in as much new business as possible, um, but Rosie's also more and more on, on that aspect of the business and sort of oversee business administration as a sort of, you know, to, at a high level and then look at our marketing in general, whereas the day-to-day running of the business, I I would say is absolutely Rosie's running.
2: But in terms of strength and weakness though, yeah. is in terms of, if we look at design is, I mean, I look, I, look, I do a lot of the technical drawing still yeah. and things. Um, but in terms of if we're looking at kind of any conflicts and designs and things, I would say us, both our style is slightly different,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but if either of us don't like something and like really don't like something, we'd say, and it just comes out of the scheme. We don't really have much discussion about it. Just just take it out. <laughs> when <Well>, if <laughs> something go, that is revolting, and but the <laughs> other one likes it. Go write us out. Just
1: take it out. Well, because the chances game. are the clients can have a view. Yeah. So we just, you know, but yes, we tend to, we like the same similar color palettes, I think. So sometimes mm-hmm. we have to try quite hard to do, you know, to work apart in that regard. Um, but certainly, yeah style-wise, if, slightly different, if, which is great. If there's a scheme,
2: though, that's something, like, if it's a little bit more elegant, or has a little bit more sparkle or something to it, or has a little bit more glitz, pass it that way, for sure. And I'll take something that's <laughs> a bit more um, kind of earthy and a bit more... Um, rugged,
1: maybe potentially, maybe not going to be rugged things, but it's just a little bit. I think Rosie's trying to say, if the client's older, I get it, if the younger she gets it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, <laughs> he, but here's what here's what I find interesting. So you talk about older, younger clients, um, you know, older, generally more moneyed and younger clients generally are are more creative and experimental and let you get away with things. But I'm curious, how how did the pandemic change your design business? How did it change what your clients were asking for? Because I mean, look, let's be honest, one of the things that I think is, this has been so fascinating because it was a global occurrence. And I, I think as the years continue to go by, we'll start to realize that there, were, there are more things that are alike internationally, globally, in design. Mm-hmm. You know, the, this idea of, of an open floor plan was so popular in so many places. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, I got to have an office and a classroom and a doggy daycare and a child daycare. And I've got to try to do all this stuff in one room and I can't do it without walls. So there was this, this backlash to some of those ideas. So I, I think that there are some consistencies in changes in design and I'm curious how how your business has changed, how the design you do has changed, if it has at all, and, and maybe how it has informed your ideas going forward.
2: Um, I think in terms of design and what we're doing for clients, it definitely depends on where we're based. If we're in London or in the UK, it's very different to if we're working in the Caribbean, which is often second homes. Um, I remember doing a couple of first homes there actually, but mainly second holiday homes, essentially. So, I mean, we had, but, you know, in the holiday home version, just we had a client not long ago and we were talking to them. And because obviously home working was a big thing and home studies and making sure they were more comfortable than, you know, the uh, back, I, I would say pre pandemic, they were very, very kind very very much almost showrooms for the study is you go sit in there and you probably just watch TV and if you want a bit of time and a bit of space away as opposed to an actual physical working office. So we, uh, we that changed in terms of working offices in London. But abroad we had actually what was what was really nice and actually quite interesting, it was um uh, had a client who wanted to sit down with their on in just a chair with their laptop in a room where their children could do their homework just outside and there you know could be space for everyone to be as well at the same time. Um so it was a more kind of interactive room, if that makes sense, that could do a bit of everything. and um, and that's flexible space, which is leads on from the pandemic for sure, because it's it can lend itself to whatever you want. It could be, you know, it could be a nap room, it could be a playroom, it can be a workstation, it can be whatever you want it to be. Um, but it just adapts to different different moments of the day, essentially.
1: And I think I noticeably people with when they work commuting. Have um, you know, to work because they work and have more time at home. And I think there's a lot of, you know, more consideration as to how spaces need to be adaptable. You know, to, to best that time.
0: I, I find it interesting too, because you've done so much work in the Caribbean, um, are you almost used to pandemic-like conditions as it relates to supply chain, Availability of product, uh, availability of materials. And I, I mean, it's a thing.
2: It's a real thing. And especially with the Caribbean as well. So we're looking at the moment, so, because also we, UK, we've had Brexit too. So we've had that as well. I've had it all, <laughs> yeah. So if we're, you know, I mean, during okay, I, I, I'll cut back to that a second. But during the pandemic, because we had Brexit just before, I was getting fabric delivered to my house to be done, have to be shipped somewhere else because they needed me physically signing for it because no one quite knew customs what was going on with customs yet. But it's not obviously not that bad now. But we are looking at for projects in the Caribbean, we have to order furniture a year in advance now.
1: Wait, a year so and that's a minimum because then it needs to be shipped and if it's from if it's from south america it's a year yeah year plus shipping so to be asking clients to you know pay for the goods sometimes 14 months ahead is not unusual it's a long
2: time so we're getting used to it for sure and our clients our clients but we're very, very lucky our clients do trust us so they it's not necessarily a, a moment of going saying, look, this is the lead time. They go, okay, well, we'll sort that out. We might have to adjust our own system mm. accordingly. Um and work with them.
0: Is is Brexit still a, a a major issue with regard to uh product product availability specification and, and receiving of, of of goods from abroad? It's-
1: well I think only this week it's just whatever it is, we don't know, it's just been ticked off and settled by our new Prime Minister but it's certainly easier than it was It's, it's much easier than it was it's, I think it, the main thing, what
2: the main element of it was about customs and now all the suppliers know what they're doing in regard to customs um, It's costing us more money for sure to buy the pieces, the pieces of the products have gone up in price Um, In terms of um, import export, obviously there's more fees involved and things, Um, but it is, it's, it's much better than it was, but I mean, to land COVID just after Brexit, it was, it was a complete nightmare. We were just about to install a project as well. So really that was, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that was delayed, actually, <laughs> not surprisingly.
0: So I'm curious if you have seen the same Sensation that we have here is, you know, here in the states, post COVID, uh, this idea of sustainable design, buying local, shopping native and organic materials, and trying to find things that would limit the cost because they don't have to be shipped as far. Uh, working with a with a sustainability. Philosophy in mind, because materials are native and organic or upcycled, and they're they're local in nature, so they get here quicker, they're less expensive, and it makes you feel good because you know you're you're either recycling or saving product that would wind up in a landfill. Have you had the same situation there?
2: Um, yes, I mean, yes, for sure, for sure, but I mean, we have for uh, quite a few years now when we do our UK projects we like to source in the UK if we can um partly tightly, partly very much sustainable secondly also about um timing just quick products it's quicker to get them and also it's supporting local small businesses as well better value it's better value as well so mm-hmm. all of that is a is a big factor but yes I mean when we go when we look at our Caribbean projects it's very hard to source locally um there you know if you're in Antigua I mean You've done a lot of
1: it, more of it than I have. There's only set things you can get on the islands. It's very, it's very limited. And what you can get is imported from um, the far East, somewhere like Jakarta or something like that. Um, what we are doing is a mixture of shipping from the States and from UK, mainly UK. A lot of the tiles and st- stuff still comes from Europe, but, um, and we are using what we can, shipping what we can from Miami, but, even the stuff that's been consolidated to Miami, much of its origin unfortunately is Europe. I don't mean because it's Europe, I mean because of the journey that it's it's undertaking. So as much as we tried to go and to go and look at stuff in the States, we have ended up purchasing some of it mm-hmm. from where it started. So uh,
0: two, thi- two things,
1: two things. We try. We'll try.
0: Yeah. yeah, so two things. The first is are you seeing um, the rise of the local workroom like we are here. What do you mean by
2: local workroom? Sorry. So <laughs> yeah. it's
0: it's fascinating. You know, here, here in the States, um, many designers, when it comes to specifying product, especially as product became so difficult to obtain, uh, local workrooms started popping up that would do woodworking and furniture or fabric and drapery um entire entire workrooms where you could go in and say look here's here's what i want here's here's a bolt of fabric um for the for the draperies or for for the coverings for the for the sofa and then they would just make it locally because i mean at at some point in time we had issues with gosh the the foam for for furnishings so these local workrooms they just they would they would go out and scour and bring in all the materials and they would just make it in one space. Have you seen uh, something similar?
1: Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I, th- I think we have a lot of local, work. with mm-hmm. certainly certain areas of the UK. Um, for example, the east of the UK is a very creative area. The mid-north is very creative and there's certain pockets that have always had them, I would say. We, but we do um, see,
2: often see, I mean, in, in terms of the trade area, is you you don't necessarily, you see specialities as opposed to all-in-one. So yeah, you'll see a, join, a joinery specialist and they'll make furniture and joinery and that's what they're good at. And that's what they'll make. They might be able to get some of the lovely finishes to go on the joinery that we specify. That's but they would, cool. and, they, and they would make cushions like, to make cushions, but they would supply the fabric for that, not for trade anyway. I think when it comes to retail, there's, there's quite a lot of one-stop shops, but they're normally quite big companies. They're not one-off small companies, I'd say um so but we don't spend very much time in those companies um because also we can make it much more bespoke by taking lots of little bits and putting them all together it's yeah. harder
1: what we do but we get a better result i think
0: why do you yeah. think that is
1: because it becomes unique we're be actually doing a lot of unique pieces everything becomes personal to the project whether it's you know more hospitality or or for a private client, it's still more personal and bespoke. Uh, and bespoke for that project, and so I think probably as our brand, we 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 pride ourselves on that for sure. To try to not repeat things um, and to give everyone something different as far as you possibly can.
0: Well, yeah, no, and and that is the nature of these workrooms. Is they're they're creating every piece is custom, every piece is unique, and every piece is different. And I think you know it's interesting. We we started. I started seeing that probably in earnest about seven or eight years ago. And it was fascinating why. And I'm curious if you've experienced this as well. (laughs) So funny. So I produce panels for trade events and I do the the programming and I moderate panels and I I cast the panels as well. And a, a few years ago, seven, eight years ago, it seemed like every design event had a panel on it. Entitled "How to Reach Millennials." What do millennials want? Why don't they buy things? Why do they still live at home? When are they going to spend money? When are they, how to how to design for millennials? It was everything had the word millennial in it, and it was interesting because you know these these young people would just live at home, and it was a different it was it was a different mentality. It was a different philosophy of life, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I I feel like came out of this and and has now been permanently inserted into the into the zeitgeist is this idea that when it comes to luxury not, everything doesn't have to be expensive everything doesn't have to be super luxe you can take that one thing that one item, a, a buffet, a sofa, an, a, a piece of art, something and then design around it in a using a, a, a high low application of skill and that's really one of the things that I I feel like designers do so well is is that high low application and make it all seamless and work together does that make sense to you have you seen that in your in your own work and through your own clients
1: yeah for sure we 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 would always mix and match to best effect and it doesn't particularly in um, you know one of our Antigua projects, there's a, a whole mixture of levels of furniture. And it's it's about the blending and the you know the good marriage of one piece to the next. That's that's how we see it. Um it doesn't have to be super, super expensive um, as long as it sits well together. And I suppose that's that's a confidence that we would bring to the party is the knowledge that nobody's going to say, that looks cheap, but that looks amazing. It's mm. just they're looking at the overview. Match them together. Yeah, really. to get the vibe, you know, it's the overall vibe.
2: Same with so, mixing old with new and things mm. as well. And as you're saying before, upscaling things, um, you know, mm. painting things, giving it a new life, giving it a new lease of life, matching that with something that's new and very bespoke and very detailed. is It's, it's um, and it also actually, as well, if you've got something that's, you know, Very bespoke, very detailed. Actually, it it makes it pop more if you have things around it that aren't don't have that same level of detail or don't have that same. You don't want it to be become a gallery in a showroom when you're kind of looking at all these amazing pieces, but you never see one Mm. because it doesn't stand out. It's not this. It's it's you know. Otherwise, you're just constantly looking at too much. I went to a house the other day, which was beautiful. It was amazing, but it had every single surface had detail. And, you know, architecturally, it was absolutely um, incredible to look at. When you stand back and look at it all at one, there was so much that it was impossible to really focus on what was actually beauty and what was what was it that you actually loved about that house. Even when you're going, well, there was almost too much because there was too much to look at. You stop focusing on, you know, the building as a whole, if that makes sense. I hope it makes
1: sense. No, it
0: absolutely does. I, I think it, it's funny. We're in this... We're in this battle right now. I think the the maximalists and the minimalists are are warring, um, and and it's really interesting because it's it's quite fascinating actually. Because if you look at the trades, if you look at the magazines, if you if you look at the socials, and you can you can really see where there is this maximalist philosophy that is so popular. There is this minimalist. I can't remember a time in design when the two were popular as popular at the same time. I think it's fascinating. Question for you, um, aside from traveling to your projects, how often do you go to trade events around the world? And are there, are there any that you've gone to? Did you go to Maison this year? Are you going to Salone this year? Did you go last year? Where are you going and where have you been?
2: I had a ticket, I had a, I had a train ticket to, to Maison and the train strike day happened that day so oh. <laughs> it, all, it all went to pot we were gutted um and just for whatever reason the next day couldn't go and oh no I couldn't get train the next day I couldn't get another one because on when it was packed from the people in the, the joy country.
1: of this country so, so no it was France it was France's train. was okay. um,
2: so it was a nightmare so I couldn't go uh we're talking about um Solano but I just haven't Done. Honestly, haven't done anything about it. Um, we went to Maison last year. Oh, did you go? No, I went not. last year. Yeah. Um, so we try and go those two in particular, the ones we tried to go to.
1: And then in the UK, we have um, Decorex, which is very good. Um, and we've explored doing Maison around the world actually, but it's the same suppliers. Focused, so, uh, focus. Focus. Is
2: good. We're very lucky in the UK because we have um Chelsea Design Centre uh, next week, which we were yeah. actually there. We were there this morning, but. We can walk. We can walk there. <laughs> we can walk. Yeah. But we, you know, there's so much that goes on there. Um into and the showrooms, there's so many. I mean, we went to the it, it, it's it's incredible. We're very we're very lucky.
1: In Miami, we went to the Dakota Centre. Yeah. And um we it was it was great, but we had a lot of similar showrooms to the ones in London. But then we saw other things which which were very interesting. So um yeah, we tried to we tried to look around as much as possible. And I think the importance of travel is not just those, but it's just opens your eyes. It tends to be downtime. And, you know, you get to look around and think more about, and definitely all sorts of elements get included in a nearby projects. But you're only as good For as sure. your suppliers and what they can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah.
0: You are listening to my conversation with Sarah and Rosie of Ward and Company. We'll be right back. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively. With respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture, there is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. The Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, Southern California chapter, is a forum for professionals in the industry and enthusiasts to come together, share their love, and show their commitment to the timeless principles of beauty, proportion, and observation that are embodied in classicism. Their members include renowned architects, designers, landscape architects, builders, students, artists, and creatives from every walk of life. It's a wonderful organization designed to celebrate the unique regional identity of Southern California and help develop the careers of the like-minded. If you're interested in joining or would like to learn more about sponsorship and support for the ICAA Southern California chapter, please email me convo by design at outlook.com I, um, I was recently last month at uh, the Kitchen and Bath Industry Show and the International Builders Show in Las Vegas. Um, have either of you ever been to that one?
1: No, no' been to Las Vegas three times, but not there. <laughs> Missed that <laughs>
0: have you Have you heard of the show?
1: No, no
0: okay. so Imagine if you will, it's in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Convention Center in mm-hmm. over a million square feet of, wow. y- yeah, I mean it's it's insane just how big it is and there's there's everyone from across the country and then the International Builders Show is also part of that, and that's more more building material um, extrusions that that sort of thing. and it's just It was overwhelming, but what's, so what I, what I gleaned from it was really interesting. And I wanted to sort of ask you about this is I feel like there's also another wholesale change, like since so many things have changed all at the same time, and that's not enough. Now we have to change the, the manner in which appliances work, Mm -hmm. everything's getting smarter. Mm -hmm. Everything is, um, getting leaner, everything's getting more expensive, everything's getting more design to it. And I'll I'll tell you what I mean in in a second. Um but but here for us, you know, I'm I'm a native Angelino born and raised in Los Angeles. And California has been suffering drought conditions for gosh decades. I mean since I was a kid. And what's happening now in both California and New York is they're They're gearing up to ban uh, natural gas outlets on new builds and remodels and, and construction. Which, gosh, if you're a chef who loves cooking with gas, or if you're a client, if you're a designer that has clients who just love cooking with gas, you know, now you have to talk to them about electric. Ranges, which you know, when you think of electric ranges, you still think about those horrible coils, but they've been made nicer. But now there's induction, which is just absolutely fascinating. Do that in in conjunction, you know, combined with the fact that um, toilets and low water flow have already been a thing for for decades in those markets as well. Do you deal with the same issues and? is that of importance when it comes to, you know, when you're designing kitchens, when you're designing bathrooms, do you do you keep that in mind? Is that a focus?
2: Um, I mean, in London, where we work in a lot of mansion blocks in London, we actually, most of them, you're not allowed natural gas anyway, so it's, it's all induction. Du- a majority of our clients actually want induction now. Um, the only time we come across the natural gas is, obviously in the countryside sometimes, but a lot of it's induction there is, um, is when uh, they've got chef's kitchen.
0: Is so when they do what?
2: A chef's kitchen.
0: Oh I see. So okay. A
2: separate chef's kitchen, which you know a chef's Pre- like a prep kitchen, you know, chefs like um open flame and also outdoor kitchens as well. Um you know barbecue thing type um kitchens. But in, in UK projects it's almost always induction unless certain places in the
1: countryside sometimes it's or Argo's Agars can, can be both so, power and um, electric. So it, and, it's a lot of it is electric in the UK already. Do you know what, an agar is Um, an old-fashioned range that's, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you imagine an old English farmhouse, you'd have an agar with these things you lift up that you put pots on and, you know, it's got oven, big old-fashioned um, cast iron oven doors. Okay. And it's um, it's just, I think it must be a very English thing, but it's very cosy, it goes with sort of out of London, the out of London country fight experience, I
0: would say. Well, yeah. it, it's it's funny and it's interesting because uh, I mean, listen, because we're the the United States is such a young country, we don't have the. It, you would laugh if I if I if I explain to you, you know, there's there are groups friends of mine that have that have this group called Save Iconic Architecture in Southern California, and you know, the battles are over a Schindler, or a Wallace Neff, or a a Neutra, you know, mid-century modern or modern structure, Mm -hmm. um, you know, built in the 1950s or 1960s, those are the battles that are being fought over architecture, not something that was built in the 1600s or 1700s because there was nothing in the 1600s -hmm. or 1700s here. And I think it's fascinating. Do do you... what is that like for you? Because I imagine some of the structures you're working in are are so old. Um, do you do you have rules, regulations, things that you have to uh, adhere to? Um,
1: do, do we have rules? So it depends. Not- it
2: very much obviously. I mean, we're talking about listed buildings. Um, I suppose in that respect. So listed, Grade One listed. There's a huge amount of regulations. Um, know you can't you you go through planning to move in to change anything you go through planning permission. so you go through a whole process and then go to the council and get planning permission same with grade two listed but you've got a lot more flexibility
1: most of our refurbs most of our refurbs would probably be in a grade two listed house because they're of a size whereby they are a a known property and there will be a lot of guidelines by which um, so we would go work with an architect who's very good at grade two listed and knows the local council. So we wouldn't just go to our favourite architect. We would go to someone local and relevant who knows, you know, which which hoops to jump through and which hurdles to jump over, you know, to get the best result. Um, so that's, that's the way we would tackle that. Um, but there are rules everywhere. I mean, all sorts of rules from how the windows are to how the lighting is. If it's a very old building, you can't put any, um, you know, spotlights recessed. You'd have to put surface lighting. So you know, we just have to get clever. And people want it to work like a well-oiled new machine.
2: And also, you need so, you need a lot of yeah. precedence. So if there's if you're working in a, so a block uh, a listed block of apartments or something like that, if someone next door has done a refurbishment, and you're now doing a refurbishment next door, you can look at what they've done and what they got permission for. I move into the next one as well. So if you replace a skirting board, say, with a, with a skirting board with a similar height that looks, you know, like it's got some something similar to what you had before, you're much more likely to get it passed than if you decide to change it for
1: something completely contemporary. I mean, just recently we were trying to put, well, we have put a, a, quite a contemporary, warm contemporary scheme into a listed building and with a client who had very... Had lived actually in the far east before, in in sort of very clean lines, quite shiny sort of um, style, and trying to integrate what she wanted into okay. this listed building was quite challenging, really, because we had um, large skirting boards and certain styles of doors, and mm-hmm. you know, apart from the structure that she wanted to open a bit and the load bearing walls, you know, so there were lots of challenges, but we you know we always get there, just not a straight line, you know. I'm trying to reuse elements of what's there as well, yeah.
0: Does, just a quick follow-up to that, personally speaking and professionally speaking, does, does that motivate you or do you view that as an obstacle that you have to overcome in order to get to the design aesthetic and feel and philosophy that you want?
2: As in, does it motivate you in terms of having to go through permission process?
0: No, does it motivate? Does does that part of it excite you? Do you look forward to? I mean, look, some people, some people love getting into the de- the debate, the fight, the the working with local bureaucracies to mm. to achieve. Some people actually like that. Um, does that does that part of it? Does that part of it enhance the the design? Look, as a creative, right? As a creator. It's it's all part and parcel. It all goes together. The you can't have you can't have one part of it just the pretty parts without dealing with the process, right? And some designers, some creatives love the entire process. Others just want to do one part of it. And what I what I'm curious too is, does that also, as far as delineation of duties, you know, Sarah, maybe maybe you're. Better working with the bureaucracies because you've you've known them a bit longer, or because they respond better to you. And then Rosie, you get to to do more of the I creative, or vice less. versa. <laughs> I
1: don't think I'm quite as patient. I don't think I'm less tolerant. <laughs> I, I, uh, what I do think is that I don't. In answer, I don't think we mind. We just look at it because we're looking at the project as a overall picture. It's probably a very beautiful building, which is always inspiring. You know, at the beginning as well. And we know, so we would rather manage the expectation. Well, the speed expectation of the client is probably how we would calm it all down a bit and just let them know, because when they bought the property, the chances are that the whoever sold it to them won't necessarily have explained um, the complications of doing a refurbishment. So we quite early on would be um, managing their expectations, should we say. So if they think they're going to move in in six months, well, they're not, mm-hmm. it's going to be a year. but I think
2: think if it's a listed building you know you've got to do that you um we very much start a project thinking about the locality of it thinking where it's situated what is around it what's there it needs to fit within the surroundings so um we do so in the surrounding building if it's not a standalone property so it's it's very it's got a lot to do with the designs what's going on inside um and what was originally there and stuff we like to keep um like to keep you know keep a taste on to what it what it was before um and how it's going to be even if we are making it contemporary having that kind of slightly more classic flair is is part of the building it's part of the history it's part of what's there so to keep that is also quite important so that is exciting that is a challenge in itself and trying to marry the two you know client style mixed with building and what you know what the hist- historic version of the building it was mixed
1: with something we're proud of delivering.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and it sounds like a wacky question, perhaps, but I, I asked the question because you know something that I that I covered for the show. Um, gosh, I think it was a couple of months ago, and for for those listening, you can go back and listen to it um, uh, in the podcast feed. There was a there was it's no longer there. There was a home in Beverly Hills. On Roxbury Drive, which is arguably the most uh, recognizable and significant street within the city of Beverly Hills, California, this home sat on two acres. Uh, It was built during Hollywood Hollywood's Regency era, and this particular street, you had uh, this particular house rather. You had at one point Lucille Ball living on one side with Desi Arnaz during the I Love Lucy days. You had Jack Benny in the house on the other side of it. You had uh, Esther Williams swimming in the swimming pool of this home. And it was listed on, you know, the city of Beverly Hills tried to create this registry uh, by architects and builders and designers. It was on the registry. And a an uber wealthy CEO of a tech company, he and his wife came in and decided that they wanted to level it to build something new. And I covered the, you should have heard. If you wanna hear it, you can go listen to the episode because I, I put in yeah. excerpts uh, from the city council meeting. It was a, an absolute clown show. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, just the conversation. What was fascinating to me was the conversation that was taking place was just so basic and rudimentary and so flawed because it didn't, it didn't take any of the historical reference into consideration. And mm-hmm. you know, for, for me and for friends that I have still in Los Angeles in design, they look at something like that and the ability to participate in the longevity of a significant piece of architecture by crafting design that adds to it rather than takes it away. That's kind of exciting, I think. But mm-hmm. you know, with that you also have the process. You also have the people that you have to talk to and endless meetings and endless reviews and sometimes that can that can detract.
1: And it's rarely the same team, is it? No, yeah. with that in that in those um, it's counsel, effectively. And Situation's rarely the same, team. But,
2: but also, however much experience you have, you every project you learn something. And, you know, you every project you can take away, whether it's a taking away of design elements that you've learned, because all our projects are different. So it's, you know, it's nice to take away a design element. Sometimes you take away a story with a client, uh, which leads us to uh, tweaking some of our collateral, tweaking some fees or tweaking something you know every every project has a takeaway normally more often than not it's a design takeaway and you learn something so these projects are they are exciting because you're learning immediately you know you're going to learn something new you know you're going to learn something from the building or learn something about the history of something so there as I say there is a process I mean going to you know council meetings and all that kind of stuff is it's, it's slightly different, it is, you know, it's not something we've had to do necessarily, um, but it's, it's, it is all learning and I think it's all interesting. And actually that's what's really nice that Sarah saying a minute ago about being part of a team. The team always changes, um, which can be great. It also can be, um, you know, it's more problematic uh, because you start a journey differently. Um, but actually you, you know, you learn from the team and you come together as a team to create this amazing um, product at the end.
0: So shifting gears and talking a little bit about the projects, some of the projects that you work on. And, and again, uh, it's, it's funny. I've dealt with this for years. And, and when I started doing this, some folks w- that I would see at events would say, you know, the, show me pictures. I hear you talking about projects all the time. And I said, well, it's, I'm not putting this video, the whole thing on YouTube. I used to do that. I've done that before, but it's been years. It's a podcast we're talking about it if you want to see imagery uh go to the show notes and you can click on warden company's website and i think you will be pleasantly surprised with what you find you can also check the socials and i will be posting um bits of this conversation with some of the images that that you were sarah and rosa you were so gracious to share with me because i absolutely love it so this is via papillon in antigua i when I so when I got the images, the first thing I did, I must have spent the initial 10 minutes just looking at that view and imagining <laughs> and imagining what that must have been like when you first got there to try to imagine and ideate what you wanted this project to look like in, in conjunction with your client's desires. Tell tell me about this project.
1: I mean, never rush the site meetings. That's the first thing. Whatever chaos was going on behind up the hill. It's just exquisite. And then that view is an ever changing. It's like moving art, you know. Um, the boat, the, the, the colors of the sea. Yes, the, the sun, the
2: sunset. i the sunset from there is just the best you'd ever see. It's it's that or Ibiza, I would say, the color of the, the it's sun is
1: the best. They say there are seven shades of blue in that particular piece of sea. I haven't seen seven, but I mean it's all moving all the time, so it's hard to do that. It's called Villa Papillon because um when the first ground was moved, there are a lot of white butterflies flying around. So it's just the French word for butterfly, um, which is which is um I thought was rather lovely. But in terms of the design the well, focus was on it was on the colours of the yeah. sea to
2: start with. That was where, you know, we talked earlier about the locality and thinking about where it's based and where it is and that color of the water is just, it comes yeah. through. And so that is the main focus when every every part of that building focuses onto, this, onto the
1: water. Yeah. Um, In the afternoon um, on a sunny day, it's beautiful back to the turquoise colors. It looks, it appears as if there's a silver dust sprinkled on top. So the master bedroom um, suite has a lot of the background is neutral, but it brings out those blue, the, the blue colours are there, evident. And also the silver dust in terms of the bathroom fittings and a very, very subtle sparkle in some of the shears. So and you know it's like magic. It's just lovely. So the, so, blue out of the bedroom you see, you know, it's just lovely.
0: So this was a new build. Yes. At what point are you brought in to work oh, on that, this? Day one. Oh, really?
2: We look at a lot of yeah. the spatial planning as well. So we look at the layouts and how people live and how people move around the building. And this as well, this particular one is also for rental as well. So it's um it can be rented out. So we have to think about um staff, um, if they had any staff there, you know, there's a dumb waiter from the kitchen down to the bar level, so they can eat downstairs easily. So there's a lot of thought process that goes into it from the beginning. And if and that's what we that's what we think about, is how people live. Yeah, we
1: worked with a good local architect. Um, but actually what we did all we we changed was the top floor um he originally had as the living area and the, the level that you now come into the house on um was the um bedroom floor, but we 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 changed those around, which was definitely the right and thing the to do. Bathroom layouts. Bathroom layouts we always change bathroom layouts. <laughs> I think it's a thing, we just always do. <laughs> We always think we're better than the one we can't. <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: <a little> <laughs> well, it's just, I mean, it's funny because there were there's imagery from different types of different parts of, of the day. And I, I would say that one of the most extraordinary elements to to this to this particular project is and i'm looking at an overhead shot of it of the ocean behind the house and you you can see the the different colors but it's interesting too because there's a negative edge swimming pool just yeah. outside that completely overlooks and mm. all of the different shades of blue all of the different temperatures of light that come into this place. I mean, was it a challenge for you trying to lay out color palette, materials, design each space when the lighting and the temperature and the mood in each room changes so much?
1: So hard. It was a nightmare wasn't it? you went. So hard because um, I mean, we chose all. We chose everything in London, but the colored tones owing to the temperature, we can have much more vibrant tones than we could in our light here which is much grayer um, but on on site it looked different again um, I, and I would say also so though sorry to butt in the some of the hard finishes were harder yeah because so the, the color, paint
2: colors mm. and the floors and the, that's the more difficult color. than the, than the yeah. you know once you've got a we just went one of our other projects we just went to um, over um, a, a, a private island just off Antigua we went and took lots of different fabrics and you look at them and some of them, you know, white fabrics are like too bright because the are awesome. light there, it's just, it just hurts your eyes. And we're trying to do a paint color on something. So it's it's different. Some things that you think will work, it's actually don't work at all. So no. it's the warmer tones, so you do, but the finishes to make sure you get that floor color correct
1: that's going everywhere is yeah. really important. But what we wanted in Villa Papillon particularly was to use as many vibrant Caribbean colors as we could, but in a contemporary way. That was really the so A. started, that living room started with parrots. Oh, yeah, found a parrot fabric.
0: <laughs> really? On it came gorgeous. back, we were going,
1: love that. <laughs> that was <laughs> <the> starting that. <laughs> And then the kitchen, um, we were repurposing client client's stools, actually. So we, we found a hand woven, um, beautiful, I think it's probably a, an African lady mm-hmm. with water pots on top. And it, you know, there's always something that starts, because actually, most of that house sits in a neutral setting. And the sort of joy comes out of the accessories and the
0: art. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. The accessories, the art, the other thing that I would say that I noticed is you you added there are so many lighting sources here. Yeah. And and I feel like, um, you know, for example, if you're if you're in the living room and you're looking out, so you you have a veranda there that overlooks the this gorgeous ocean and then so you have an, an open space to look out so you 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 removed it, it's just the the doorway there it's sliding is it accordion or sli- it's sliding and it's then sliding
1: the yeah, it goes yeah. into the
0: back. so then you have the shelving to the right of that and it's interesting because you know what if you didn't have the lighting inset on the shelves Um, all of that accessorizing would be lost
2: completely. I think also what's really important with that house and actually any house inside that is the sea is is almost art in itself. So in the day, you've got this incredible view, which is, you know, your main focus. That and nighttime, I mean, it goes dark like that over there. It's, you know, it starts, the sun goes down and then it's black. So So you lose all of your artwork. So your lighting inside, it becomes a whole new house. It's a completely different house. And it's just, it, it's magical, As I say, it's, I think it's magical. And it just, the, li- the light come. you know, t- the lights turn on, you've got your different setting on and then it becomes a piece of art inside
1: as, as well yeah. as, you know, and then you've got your daytime outside. We used a lot of, color, particularly in that main city in coloured shades, the orange shades, so they glow and down light. So no, so the light couldn't evade from the top. It was all focused down. So the overall effect, I think that's why it's been so successful. Um, but my, f- my favorite thing in the whole house, our favorite thing, is the floor lights that light up the natural stone outside. It just it sets the tone. It's mm-hmm. quite exciting when you ride down the steps, which are also lit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's subtly lit, underlit. Um, and, you, you know, you just it's quite exciting You sort of get a sense of what you're about to see.
0: Yeah. And one of, one of my favorite things, too, about this project is the the millwork. Um, and I'm looking, so I'm looking at the kitchen, and it, it looks like the this you have no work in the ceiling, or is that is that a tile? No,
1: it is. No, it is. That's it's quite a local thing, actually. Nice pickled ceiling. The finish is tongue groove, and it's a local softwood, and it's finished with a process called pickling. Mm-hmm. It's like a lime wash. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But it it, it warms the, it warms it all up. It, it it's yeah. So that is all local.
0: Well, it's beautiful because what it did is it, it, it mirrors the tile and it gives this, this symmetrical look to something. And what I love about this kitchen in particular is that you, you, have, you have very modern and rustic at the same time. You have mm-hmm. Caribbean and you've got Metropolitan in the same space. And, and I think it was, it was beautifully done. Are, are those uh, stools, those bar stools, the ones you repurposed for the client?
1: Yeah, we had they repurposed. They had them somewhere else before, and we, so we just had to cut about, uh, I think, eight centimeters or three inches or something off the legs, and then we just recovered, stained the legs, an appropriate color, and covered them. So yeah,
0: is that a local fabric?
1: No, nothing's local. That's um, no fabrics are local. What? No, no fabrics are local. No, no fabrics
0: are local. Oh really?
2: That that was, was uh um. Zoffen? No, not Zoffin, the one downstairs in the...
1: Pernod, no. Is it? Yeah, but it's, it's an African designer, French supplier. And the front one was a German supplier, Zimmer Road, I think.
2: What we yeah. do, if it comes there, they have stock in the UK, and so what we do is we send it to our uh, UK upholsterer. So it's not, not everything's traveling really fast. So it will go, to, the store's in the UK, Still, was in the UK anyway. Fabrics, um, some of it's stocked in the UK. Ghost,
1: ghost, or ghost store, this bar. Everything has a journey.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's beautiful, and it, I just wanted to touch base on a on a second project of yours, um, Capco. Can you tell me about this one?
2: So this is at this, uh, uh, this is in King Street. This is for a developer called Capco. Okay. Um. So this is um, Project Piazza. So it's in Covent Garden, overlooking the Piazza. Um. So it's. It's an iconic area of London. Yeah, so sort of street shows. Yeah, exactly. So this and this, this. I mean, this project was 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 interesting. I mean, it had had four different briefs. Um, <laughs> we got down to the last brief, and that's where we got to. Um, and you know, working we work working with developers is a different journey to working with a private client. Um, but it's you know we we were working very much with some existing furniture, upscaling their furniture um looking at uh, keeping the existing layouts but redoing bathrooms and um other things as well um then also there was a process of of value engineering too to make sure that we're we're um we're using kind of spending the right money basically but this was really we got we we really got a result that we really wanted in the end here um and we had to connect but also the locality was very important um so had to have a marketing journey with it um, so if you're looking at the living room space, um, which was kind of living, dining, library area as well. So in, library areas are very English, um, you know, and it suited it very well to have we around the fireplace and things. So um, we've got 400 books in there for 400 years of Covent Garden history because the date Covent, history of Covent Garden dates back for 400 years. So. All of those books, um, I can't say I did it myself. We used a lovely company to help (laughs) us. Um, All those books are related to Covent Garden, also London, in some way. Um, And then you know we had things like a a bespoke painting in the study um, that pictured um, some of the street artists downstairs and what was going on the piazza down there as well. Um, And then very you know mixed some very English elements into it um, with some very contemporary. Bits as well, and trying to make it vibrant, but also it's for sale, so it's for sale. Um, had to appeal. Had to appeal to lots mm-hmm. of different people. Um, so it was it was a, we, it, it was a long journey to get to where we got to, um, and partly partly because the project the scope changed of the project. Um, but in the end, we yes, we ended up we we designed we very much designed the kitchen because of the t- the speed we had. Um, so mixing lots of different materials together, different metal colors as well, to add a bit of depth to it um, and different colors. So, you know, bold colors mixed with some neutrals as well. Um, I love that image, which has the kind of mustardy goldy chairs looking onto the blue, um, blue wall uh, with the library there as well. well
0: so well, a couple of things that I noticed about this that I absolutely love. Is this this particular project? So you're you're looking out onto the onto basically a square. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got a city view. It's a gorgeous city view, um, square view. It's not a city city, but it's what you did is you basically applied the same some of the the very same techniques that you did in Antigua, where you use the ocean in that regard, the ocean and the boats and the hills behind as as a as a, as a piece of art. You use the city. Views the square views the as a as a work of art and you played other things off of it which I think is just absolutely brilliant something else that I absolutely love is the bathroom um, I have a thing for bathrooms I I just you know you know why I'll tell you why because they're small spaces mm-hmm. and small spaces in in my experience are harder to do than larger spaces. They just are. Like if you have a big space and a lot of money, you can do amazing things. If you have a small space and a lot of money, you're still limited. What regardless of the budget is my point, you know, smaller spaces are harder to design because you're limited by the physical space you have and you did some things here that I just think are absolutely exquisite. As you look into this bathroom, you're looking through the shower and there's a window behind it um you went with completely frameless on this which extended the view there is no lip to the to the shower which doesn't take away from the eye there's a you know the the invisible drain is it, there's nothing to just there's nothing to distract it's a very modern space but it also feels very very comfortable tell me about this bathroom and what the thought was behind it
2: it was very, it was gross beforehand, <laughs> it was so gross, um, so it was anything to make it better, um, no, it was, um, it was, it was dark, but um, it had two windows, but it was dark, um, and it had, you know, it had, it, it was just, uh, let's call it loved, let's call it very loved, um, and not very clean, <laughs> um, so it was, it was about, um, this bathroom started, we went through quite a few layouts in this, because it's a big enough space, to hold a bath as well as a shower but it wasn't a big enough space to really do that justice um, this is one of the things
1: about when it's a listed building because that you, is listed as well you, yeah it. you can't knock you can't just knock walls down you have to work with some of the spaces so you have to make a call as to which room usage is going to be mm. for what and that this was a classic the bathroom's actually bigger than it needed to be but it's so, not big yeah.
2: enough to make it really luxurious <laughs> but the also the um I think that was but that was one of the factors is is then we decided to take away the bath put the bath in the other room and then you've got this massive massive space and we're going okay well, we've got to do something else with this obviously first and foremost it was light and bright and make it look great but we've got to do something else so we put in a window seat in there because you can look out into the city and, you know if you want to sit down you've mm. got a bit of small storage and also it covered there's a lot of pipes there as well so we have you know, with covering up the pipes as well, um, but it's it's it was it was about like just keeping it really light, keeping it really bright, and making it feel quite modern, but also very comfortable and warm. And that's the thing, actually. You know, that is something that we've always surprised ourselves whenever we go back into the end of a project. I don't know why we're surprised, we're not very surprised, and so surprised anymore. No. But it's all our projects feel very warm and calm. As much color as you use, as much texture as you use. The end result always feels somehow somehow calm, calm. And I
1: think that's the warm tones that we like to use. So. Mm. Which doesn't always work. We had, I mean, colour, The you know, the science of colour is fascinating. And it is very true. I know one shouldn't generalise, but it is very true um, that the warm colours are more popular in certainly Caucasians, um, people with who originate from... Indian countries, African countries, Caribbean tend to be warm tone. People wear somebody perhaps from the Far East might prefer cherry tones, more lemon yellows, stronger colors. Um, you know, so it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first things we start to talk to a client about is try to gauge where the color spectrums lying. Cool blues, warm blues, cool greens, warm mm-hmm. blue, you know, blacks, browns, chocolate yeah. brown, tan, etc. You know, so... Um, mm.
0: There's no, there's no transom, but I, but I do see the, the shower enclosure goes floor to ceiling. Is this a steam shower?
1: No, no. um, What we did in there, we, we tend to have strip drains and fall away, you know, we try to try as a standard to work like that in a shower and to have the controls upon entrance so that you, the idea is you can put it on and walk away while it warms up.
2: We we also oh. this apartment had in certain areas had the most amazing ceiling heights.
1: Yeah, yeah it did.
2: Um, And so I, I think partly the the, the window behind that shower screen is it's it's arched, isn't it? From memory, it's an arched window yeah. and it goes almost to the ceiling. So. We have got a gap. There is a gap at the top of that shower screen. Only a small gap, but it was as small as possible. But that it was about your eye level, looking to the window behind, as opposed to looking to. Otherwise, the shower screen would have been cut halfway through that archway.
1: Also, restrictive the sizes of pieces of glass and things into a building it's on the top floor. Top floor. We didn't have a problem with that. No, we could, it's also a consideration. Access. Yeah.
0: Well, I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and, and you know, something I didn't really even realize is is because that enclosure does go all the way to the ceiling. If it were lower, it would, it would strike at eye level and it would detract just an amazing detail. And one of the, th- the other things I noticed too, is that carries through from some of the other design is that under cabinetry lighting, um, I, again, it's it seems, is that a, is that a constant? Do you, do you try to work that in wherever possible?
1: Yeah, in the bathroom. PIR. Yeah, so we would t- one of the, the features that we would do in a bathroom, um, so it's a, yes, it's, that is another thing we would do, and it's probably on a, a PIR, which is infrared sensor. So at night, the idea is if you want to go to the bathroom, you don't have to put on all the lights. It's just a subtle glow, so you can do what you need to do and go away again. Um, so, uh, we, yeah, strip drains. Shower controls in the right space, under counter, probably vanity under counter. Uh, lighting. What else do we do? So if we can, a nice niche in the shower yeah. to hold shampoos and, and lighting in that niche and a lit niche. So, because you might do a different um, tile on the back of the niche as well. Yeah. So just little things like that. So practical but elegant.
0: Love it, love it, and I and I love this project. Um, thank you i'm i'm a little over time actually and uh, i appreciate you staying longer i i love these and and i got i got a little carried away sorry thank you very much for taking the time today i absolutely love this conversation it was great meeting you
1: Lovely to meet you too
0: George, thank you it's good to meet you too Hello. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration. Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. We talk all the time about transformative design. We, we have conversations about it, but what does that really mean? Design improves the lives of those who inhabit the space, right? But it also feeds the creativity and the soul of the individual Who creates it? Are you looking for a way to give back? The Oasis Alliance is a 501c3 collective of creatives based in and around the Washington, D.C. area with a mission to provide healing spaces for those who are rebuilding, rehabilitating, and recovering. Have you wondered how to apply your design skills to uplift your community? It all starts with a desire and a willingness to share your gifts Danielle Woodhouse Johnson of the Oasis Alliance and her team are looking for guest designers, in-kind sponsors and funding to make better the spaces and therefore the lives of everyday people who find themselves coming out of traumatic situations. Do you want to help? Check out theoasisalliance.org for more information. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate the time and the insights. Thank you, Convo by Design partners and sponsors and friends, Thermosol, Moya Living, Design Hardware, the ICAA Southern California chapter, and the Oasis Alliance. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the show. I hope you enjoy it, because that's why I do this. I would also like to hear from you. I love the guest submissions and the show ideas, so keep them coming. Email me, design at outlook.com, or message me at... Convo by Design with an X on Instagram. Remember why you do what you do and for whom you do it. Let that be the thing that drives you, to to push you, uh, to push new boundaries. And let's keep moving our industry forward. Be well. And until next week, take today first. (sighs)